Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 344 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 3rd, 2014. Big show for you this week on the podcast, talking about USC's 44-17 win over the Washington State Cougars. If you have any questions or comments for us, we've got a bunch of them today. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on the show. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde in the studio right now with us. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Ryan, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. It's been a good weekend, a busy weekend. Great college football. The Pac-12 is starting to take shape on uh, who's going to be leaders in the north. Oregon certainly has uh, done a great job up there with its big victory over Stanford. Just think for a minute. I know this is a USC podcast, but just think for a minute. Oregon is one bow away from being ranked in the top four. One bow, and if everybody doesn't understand what I'm talking about, in the Arizona game, I can I can give you his name, but I'm not going to do that. Made a great play. It was a fourth down play. Ran off the field for Oregon got near their sideline, near their sideline and their bench, and bowed to the crowd and bowed to the bench. Well, he was flagged for that called celebration. Well, that play right now is haunting Oregon. As far as at this current point, I think Oregon will be in the Final Four, but I'm just saying, was that a necessary call? And I'll just leave you on that. And then in the South, of course, wow, what a run it is. There's so many teams that are in it. ASU is the number one so far. But all the uh, two lost teams are there, and who knows what's going to happen there. But it's exciting, Ryan, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing this uh, podcast with you. Yeah, there's uh, only one team above 500 in conference in the North. That's Oregon. Five teams above 500 in the South. Arizona State, USC, UCLA, Arizona, and Utah with Colorado being 0-6. So some some struggling and some uh, shifting around going down in the south, and USC can still win it. It's got to be a three, mostly like a three-way tie. It's going to be tough because Arizona State only really has one tough game left, but lots of football to be played, so we'll get to that. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything going on, we've got the NBA season heating up. Lakers are on a roll. Not a, not a good roll, but they're on a roll. Uh, Clippers end up losing the game, but they, they look like they're going to be a powerful team this year. If you want to check any of that stuff out, anything in local or across the country, go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And, uh, coach, yeah, I just want to kind of get, you know, we don't go too long because we got some questions, but I want to kind of get your thoughts on what USC did to kind of get back into their winning ways and bounce back from that, that last second loss to Utah. Well, I think what they did is, first of all, they're a better football team and, uh, uh, they didn't play scared. They went up there. The weather did not intimidate them. Uh, they did what they had to do, which means throw the ball down the field. Uh, 
That opened up the running game, play-action pass, uh, which opened up the running game later on. The first half, they really didn't rush the ball well. They selected the proper plays to rush the ball. Play-action opened up. Big plays by big-time players. And then on the defensive side of the football, and, and I have to mention this, it may have been a little bit of a different football game if Holiday stayed in the game, but, you know, whenever that happens to any player, as it did to Suva Craven, uh, I really does take a uh, a change of mood in the game for that moment. You want to make sure that that kid is okay, unless you've had it happen to you and you walk out there as a coach and you look down at his face and he's in pain, and all the things he struggled through to get where he is, it's uh, disheartening. And the same feeling I had when I saw Suva Craven go down. Uh, I said, oh, my gosh. But to me, right now, currently, he's made a lot of big plays. He's a playmaker. And Leonard Williams is a playmaker. But right now, as a young player, Suva Craven is just an outstanding, great athlete. And one that's coming along pretty fast, is Adore Jackson. I mean, now that's a playmaker. You know, it reminds me of uh, one of my colleagues called me during the Trojan Brunt show yesterday during one of the breaks and says, Coach, you know who he reminds me of? I said, who? Dale Green, who played for the Washington Redskins, who's now in the Hall of Fame. And he does. He reminds me exactly like him. So I think he has a bright future. He's uh, cocky enough to say, challenge me. He had uh, eight solo tackles, which means he tackles well. So when you look at the bright spots of the game, there's bright spots, and then there's spots. Today there was a bright spot to me when I heard that Suva Craven's MRI came out okay, that it's nothing uh, torn, no fractures, just some good, strong rehab, and he may be back. The bye came at the right time. But as far as... uh, the game itself, it's always great to win. You know, you, you hear me talk about stats mean nothing, W's mean everything. And you always hear me say winning solves everything, whether it's off-the-field problems, on-the-field problems, whatever the problems might be in any type of business or sporting activity, uh, it solves it. And now they can come back. They've reserved some time off. And really now they can end the season 9-3 and three or or five and seven. So I'd rather be nine and three. And I really feel I went to the UCLA game. No due respect to UCLA, Cal, or to Notre Dame with the right combination, the right plays, with the right desires and emotion, and of course breaks. You got to have breaks. I think the Trojans can finish strong. So. Uh, I'm going to have a good bye week until we get it back on on a Thursday against Cal. Sounds good, Coach. I will, too. Yeah, no, a whole week off from practice. So we'll be, uh, be interesting not going to USC football practice this week. Um, we got a question. So we'll, a bunch of questions for you, Coach. I wanted to read the first one. Uh, he said, I didn't get to watch the game, quote, unquote, again. Hashtag Pac-12 Network. Laugh out loud. Uh, so my question is, did USC put together a complete game in your eyes, and do you see progress from our team heading into the last three games that give you hope we can put it all together for next year? Thanks, truly love the show, and following you both on Twitter. Fight on from Fight On in Georgia. Well, uh, for Fight On in Georgia, uh, we're talking about next year. Of course, uh, you look at next year, and you look at it with a lot of question marks. 
Uh, what I mean by that, uh, you got to finish this season, and uh, when you look at next year, you get your full allotment of scholarships, which are 25, which is the first time they've had that in a long time. Uh, so you can't use that as a reason why you're not successful as far as numbers. You'll still be down 75, but I mean, all the time I hear about numbers making a difference, yet you looked in the game in this past weekend at Washington State, they played 43 players. How many players did USC play? 43 players. I say that every Sunday when I talk, when Ted comes up. The, did the numbers really make a difference on the Hail Mary play? I don't think so. Did the numbers really make a difference on the lateral that was running for a touchdown against Utah? I don't think so. Uh, you can look at it one way or another. Uh, do you have to play against 30 players that maybe may have been at SC? Probably. Probably. Where well, Are they great players? Could be, a few of them. But uh, you've got to think of the positives, not the negative. I always believe don't talk about or tell me how hot it is or how cold it is. We've got to play this football game. Now, saying that, uh, you've got to look and say, is Buck Allen coming back? Is Leonard Williams coming back? Is Nelson Aguilar coming back? I mean, these are things you have to look at to say, how good will USC be next year? Now, uh, I think Leonard Williams will go out. I do. Uh, I think he's done his due time. And uh, you have to assume he'll be coming out. Will Nelson Aguilar be coming out? I think Nelson is just now starting to play in a rhythm where he should stay. But would I tell him to stay if, if he was my uh, son or if he was one of my players? I'd talk to him about it, but I could not tell him what to do because I'd feel horrible if something happened that senior year. But it's a little different now. Was you have insurance policies where you can insure yourself up to $10 million or $20 million on uh, injury clauses, such as, you know, uh, you can never play again. Well, okay, that might help you become a better player, and you go up higher in the draft, and you make more money. There were some players last year that should have stayed in. I'll get to those in a minute. Uh, will Buck Allen stay? Uh, I hope he stays. Will he stay? Well, we'll have to see what happens and what's best for Buck Allen and what's best for USC. Uh, normally in these situations, players today don't look at it the way they used to. It's a money game. You take advantage of what you can make, and you sometimes go out. So though, that's the first three things we've got to think about as far as the coming year on how good are you going to be. Just think what you might have been this year – Xavier came back, Uko came back, Bailey came back, Marcus Martin came back. I mean, a whole different thing. So you, you look at all of that. It's a little early to look at all of that because you've got to have certain positions fill in. You're going to be good at certain positions, obviously, but uh, you have a young offensive line. You have a young secondary. Uh, you need, uh, I think you need some get some linebackers, bring them along. Defensive front, you got to defensive players that can play right now and and uh, you go on from there but uh yeah i think the future is bright for usc football it certainly should be yeah you've always heard me say it's uh it's the white house in college football as far as i'm concerned or are other white houses too in other states but i think it's a white house here in southern california and 
probably in the Pac-12. So let's move on. Yeah, uh, you've actually brought up a good point from Sean had a question about the sanctions and and he was talking about the numbers too. And and you and I have the kind of same thought. I know when you talk to Peter Arbogast, he kind of thinks about it differently. But I didn't think sanctions had anything to do with the Hail Mary or play calling at the end of the Utah game. It, it there's certainly sanctions have an impact. There's players on other teams, like you mentioned, that could be that USC is competing against. It's harder to practice because you don't have as many bodies and scholarships. But as far as number of guys in the game, you're playing about the right number of guys. Now we saw Sua Cravens go down. And you have a walk-on, Matt Lopes, coming in, who's a good walk-on, and he's going to school for free because his dad's uh, one of the athletic directors. But, you know, he, he could be a scholarship player somewhere. But there are some limitations there. But I don't th- – I, I think that there's limitations, and you could put limitations on this team, and maybe by the end of the season when more guys get hurt, it would be more difficult. But USC's been fairly fortunate with the amount of guys that have been injured and lost for the season this year – uh, not too many of them. There's been some, but not uh, like a, a big rash of them. I think we saw more of that last year. And I think they've been in those games and been in position to win. And for me, I wouldn't blame. I, I think you, there's losses you could potentially blame on. You know, really, it just kind of ran out of steam and the sanctions were there. For, I just hadn't seen that so far this year. I think some people were kind of making that excuse or whatever. It, I just didn't see it. I don't think you do either, Coach. No, I don't. I haven't seen it since it happened. I said, why talk about things you can't control? I mean, that's the way it is. Why have distractions? Why why make excuses? Hey, this is all we have. So when it's your turn to step up, you step up. It's time for you to play. Like Matt Lopes went in the game. Uh, Someone tweeted out something. I saw the tweet saying, oh, now another walk-on's playing. And Ryan, I have to give you credit. You immediately tweeted out, yeah, but he's not a bad player. He's not a normal uh, walk-on. And I sort of said the same thing when I retweeted, too. Uh, but again, he's not Suva Craven. Right. I'm not trying to say he's replacing a great athlete like that. But again, my first comment was, and if you listened to the Trojan Brunch yesterday, uh, the best for the team is for Juju Smith to play safety. Why? He's the same type of athlete. Uh, he would go there over for the team. Uh, How many times you guys hear me talk about get your players on the field? Do you think George Farmer should be watching? Do you think Darius Rogers should be watching? Do you think Stephen Mitchell should be watching? Well, it's all right to watch if you you got great players everywhere and you don't have any players that you need to upgrade. But if Suva Cravens go down, you've got to talk to Juju. You say, we got bye week, my man. You got to go over there, and you got to play that position. It's something that you've done before because we need you there. And I know what he just said, Coach. Whatever you need, yep. I'll do it. He's that type of player. And you heard me say this from day one. All of our regular listeners and Ryan, you can contest to this. I have always felt Juju should be on the defensive side of the football with Adoree because there's too many great receivers who are over there that are watching the game. And it's great to have that supply of receivers. But you don't have players on the field that should be playing that are five-star players. Four-star players are watching or playing every other player, every four plays. You've got to have those type of athletes on the field winning for you. All right, that's the answer to that question. And you mentioned uh, Twitter, too. You can follow Coach at Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me at Inside Troy. That's at Inside Troy, all one word. You can follow us both on Twitter, tweeting out during the games and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, Coach, I agree with you. On I mean, Juju's been amazing at wide receiver, three more touchdowns. Uh, but I've always felt that he should be a safety too. But it's, he's doing so well at receiver, and now I'm not. I'm not. Too, you know, I'm not uh, blowing up there or whatever. You know, saying that anymore. It's fine. Like if they move him to safety, I got no issues with it. But I'm not going to be calling for that just because he's played so well at, at receiver right now. It's just hard to. I know there's a lot of there's better receivers backing him up than there's safeties over there backing up Sua Cravens. But man, he's just playing so well right now. It's hard to. It would be hard to take him away for me. But I'd like to see him play every play. Not that he doesn't play a lot, but uh, you've got other players too, Ryan, that are watching and uh, four-star, five-star players. And if given the opportunity, could certainly uh, no. And if if Juju's listening to this, hey Juju, I'm not telling people to do this. I'm just saying <laughs> if they need you there, I know you're the type of kid that would go there. Oh, he would in a heartbeat. He he yeah. would go there in a heartbeat, wouldn't he? Yeah, completely. He's one of the hardest working guys. Steve Sarkeesian talked about it. Him and Nelson Aguilar, you know, come early, stay late. They're always working hard. So high praise uh, for, you know, Steve Sarkeesian gave Sue Cravens and Dory Jackson. That's, it's good to see, Coach, when, the, you know, we do all the recruiting rankings and stuff like that. Five-star kids like, uh, you know, Sue Cravens. I mean, you know, he was a five-star kid. Uh, Dory Jackson, Juju Smith. I mean, those two guys come in as true freshmen. Huge contributions. I mean, in the Utah game, the first two point, the first two touchdowns USC scored, one by Dory Jackson, the next one by Juju Smith. True freshman, five star guys. So living up to their recruiting rankings, it's always good to see. And how about Cleo Rogers? I, I said during the game uh, that he did, a, he had a great game. I think he, I even mentioned it on the pregame show during the spring. He was a starter, and I thought he really had a great spring. Then he got hurt; he didn't play in the fall. But he came in, I thought, and played excellent as far as at the left guard. I really think, and I think Lobodon had a good game at the left tackle. But I just wish Andre Walker, my man, Andre, I'd love to talk to him. you got to step up, big guy. you got to step up. It's November. you got to step up and get after somebody. But he's too good of talent. 18 starts he's had. And we've got, the rest he's got freshmen starting. And you got a guy like this with all the great potential he has. He, he's going to be one of these Cameron guys. He's going to be one of these guys who go to the NFL, and all of a sudden you'll see him in the Pro Bowl. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing. Well, to me, Coach, and I, I, this was a criticism I had of the, the, the decision to switch it up. He comes in at the end of the, you know, well, three-quarters of the Utah game and plays well at left tackle there. And, you know, they, we talk about he's going to be the left tackle on the Sunday conference call. And then for some reason on Monday they changed their minds and I don't I didn't look to see how much he played but I don't think he played at all or no he, he didn't play I didn't see him in there ever yeah I never saw him and and so to me I thought he did what was right now he was slow to come back from an injury and maybe the coaches don't trust him or there's something going on there coach but and I think we talked about this in the podcast last week something's going on but the fact that they're going in and starting Lobendon at left tackle um, and that actually. Jesse Rodriguez had a question about that, so maybe we'll just talk about that now. Why do you think they stuck so long with Toa Lobendon at left tackle? Seems like he was getting beat a lot to me, and I don't, I don't think he was getting beat a lot. There might have been some continuity issues up front there, Coach, but I thought they'd give Andre Walker a chance, and it looks like he performed well against Utah, and then he just never got back in there. So I, I don't put the blame on Walker. I think he did what he had to do, but if he's not going to get playing time, I don't know what he can do. Well, uh, 
Yeah, I, I was surprised, too. You know what I really thought was going to happen? I really thought they were talking about starting Lobot on the whole week to motivate Walker. Uh, this is what I thought. And I thought that when they started the game, I looked immediately. The first thing I looked at when the offense went on the field, who was that left tackle? Because I thought they'd talk about it all week and then start him in the game. But they didn't do that. And he never came in and played. And that was really surprising to me. And as far as Lobanon's concerned, you got to give him a little slack here because the first time he played tackle the entire year, when you move people around in the offensive line, I was really surprised you moved these many people around this far into the season. This this doesn't normally happen. Never. I'm telling you because yeah, you get the feel with who you're playing next to. You can look at a guy or a guy has a signal, he says something to you, and you, and you know what he's communicating with you about, and you run the play. All of a sudden, Banner is somebody different playing next to him uh, sometimes, and then you have uh, Turek having a guy that was on the right side, now on the left side, or you have Khalil Rogers there. Mama, I think, got in the game once or twice. I thought I saw him in there. Maybe I was wrong. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Lobodon now moves away from your left side if you're Turek and is out another position, out to tackle. And again, he sees a whole different look and, and pass blocks against a whole different type of a pass blocker or a rusher or whatever. You get more of a faster guy, and inside you have more of a power guy. You normally don't make that many changes, but they did in the offensive line. You see that happening always in the NFL. One guy learns three positions, center, both guards, or tackle, or whatever. They're interchangeable. But you don't see that much in college football. So we'll see what happens this off week. I just don't think something's there with Walker, sort of like a phantom. You see him at practice, and then uh, you see him sometimes around active, uh, and then all of a sudden you don't see him at all. Not that he's not around, it's just he's not participating. Hey, Coach. Okay, so let's want to get back to uh... – Jesse Rodriguez, U.S. Army retired uh, question about uh, why do you think they stuck with Lobenton at left tackle so much? Seems like he was getting beat a lot to me. That's according to Jesse. Uh, they probably knew he had to stay out there in every play. He learns more as far as being at that position. Uh, they probably didn't have any alternative. For some reason, they didn't move Gertner over there or they never wanted to put Walker back in the game. For some reason, I don't know if Walker's being punished or I don't understand that, but uh, obviously they think Lobanon's going to play that position, so the only way you learn how to play it is play it. And you're going to get beat at times, and times you're going to be good. So, uh, you know, you can't learn that in, in practice. you got to learn it under uh, the real uh, movement of what happens in combat. And uh, he may have – I didn't notice him really getting beat that often. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, you probably watched him a little bit closer than I did. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, he's the guy that's going to play that position, obviously. So yeah. <laughs> that's why he's there. And then uh, just to add a second question, he goes, are defensive line stunts and twists not part of this defensive coordinator scheme? Seems like we've gone from uh, – Seems like we've gone from countless drives with no pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. Um, that's, again, from Jesse Rodriguez. I agree with you. Uh, I see very few twists. I see very few stunts whatsoever. I think 
They ran three stunts, I believe, during the game where they came up with both linebackers up tight, uh, faking uh, to come, and then they did send Serraro and drop Pollard out to cover. I think they did it about three times, and Serraro put pressure on the quarterback. I thought early in the game they should have pressured this Falk guy immediately. The first time he came in, I'd have said, oh, my God, I'd have gone after him with everybody. And he'd said, man, this is not going to be an easy drive today. And uh, I would have tried to get in his face more and shake him up. They allowed him to get into a rhythm. And as a young player, he got stronger as it went along, but you really didn't get in his face much or knock him down. Uh, you could, you might not get uh, uh, interceptions, but you'll throw his rhythm off and uh, he'll overshoot some passes and throw an interception here or there. And you, you, you sort of keep somebody off balance. The twist, I saw maybe in the game two or three twists. I'm not sure why they don't do that more often, twist, and then bring a delayed stunt around from the outside where the two guys switch out and open a pass completely straight up the middle. They don't do that. They're very vanilla, if you know what I mean. They're very base. They're very base in what they do defensively regarding the front four guys. Uh, and uh, they, were, they were very concerned about containing this guy, and I think they did that because they lost contain, if you remember, a week ago against the big kid Travis Wilson from Utah, and that cost him probably the game. I'm not saying it did, but it certainly did uh, hurt them. They might have still had a field goal there. But, uh, no, very, very basic on defense. Do not take many chances, but I'll tell you a guy I'd take chances with is Suva Craven. I have never seen him yet, stun or blitz, where he hadn't made a play or hurried the guy. Sack. Loss on the run or loss on the play, he makes things happen. He really makes things happen. He's a great player, and I certainly would get him more involved in the game on defense. Yeah, hard to argue with that. <laughs> um, well, thanks for those, Jesse. Uh, Barcel and Diamond Bar wants to know, what happened to the art of backpedaling? I don't remember Daryl Green from the Redskins playing with his back to the ball. Why is this new technique being taught in football? That's Marcel in Diamond Bar. You know, you know that's a that's a good point. Uh, you know, if you played defense, you used to remember your back pedal. You watch the belt belt buckle, and you play inside or outside depending where you are on the field. And uh, you watch him, and when he when he starts to come up to you, and you turn and run with him, or you come back and do whatever you need to do. Now there's a new technique that you'll line up inside and you'll back up, taking away the inside and forcing the run-outside routes. Uh, I don't understand that, but again, uh, you see it everywhere, so obviously they feel there's an advantage of playing defensive back that way. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't play it that way, because I think that you're more in control when you're looking straight ahead and when you're playing, man, you can see a little bit more of what's going on. But when you turn your back to the line of scrimmage and you're backing back like that, if there's a run, it's a running play, you really don't know what's going on. So I like the old way, as you've been taught, obviously. I'm sure you were a defensive back where you you, you backpedal out of there and you keep your eyes on the belt buckle and you play the game. Because the belt buckle goes where the guy goes. You don't worry about all his moves and so on. You keep your two-yard uh, difference from him, and uh, if he when he breaks, you break, or you move when he moves, and 
you make the play. You don't usually normally you didn't see a lot of interceptions off of plain man, but you're all over him like a blanket. But you looked at the ball when he looked at the ball. But uh, they're playing it that way, and uh, that's why they're throwing the ball to the shoulder a lot, the outside shoulder comebacks, because they're giving him that type of uh, shot to throw the ball. And we got one last one uh, from Melvin. He says, I see that USC's look good, uh, even broken records, this year against teams like Washington State, Colorado, and Fresno State. They won a tough physical game against Stanford, but then they couldn't stand toe-to-toe with other teams when maybe toughness would have won the game at the end. So my question is, how do you feel about the rest of the season for USC against some good, tough teams like UCLA and Notre Dame? Are we tough enough to play them to the end? Melvin. Melvin, uh, very good point. Uh, You know, toughness is being physical. Okay, that's what I think you mean. Uh, Is SC physical enough to go to the pits, go to war against these guys? If they run out of ammo, uh, then they draw the bayonet. Uh, I somewhat guess they are. Uh, I'd like to see it happen. I'd like to see them uh, be physical, because they're going to have to be physical. The offensive line, especially against UCLA, I went to the UCLA game, and they had a great defensive game this past weekend against Arizona. Either Arizona was off or UCLA in their secondary to shut down the receivers, and they have great receivers. So it was, it was uh, UCLA uh, was into it. They were into it and had a great game against Arizona, came out of that with a win, nice win. So uh, UCLA appears to be more physical. Uh, they've got great uh, uh, D-line, linebackers fly around, secondary's been playing well. So it's going to be a real challenge for the offensive line and getting the running game going. And what UCLA has done, too, is they brought Hundley back into the offense. And what I mean by that, the early part of the season, it's almost like they made a deal with Hundley. If you come back, we won't run you. So you won't get injured in the NFL. But the last couple of games, they said, we need you to run the ball. We need you to open it up. And this is what they've done, and it certainly has opened up and made them a complete offensive football, different offensive football team. They are completely a threat now. And now you have to stop the running back, who's had a great year. I think his name is Perkins or whatever. He's been over 1,000 yards in rushing. And uh, Hudley throws the ball hard enough. To, basically, you know what I saw Saturday? I thought he threw the ball too hard for sometimes his receivers to catch. But uh, I'm sure they'll work on that this week. But he's a great athlete. You've got to stop him. And I hate to say this, USC hasn't shown me that they can stop an athletic quarterback. And that's one concern I have as far as playing not only Hundley, but also playing uh, Everett Colson. I mean, that kid is a playmaker. Uh, Notre Dame rides his shoulders on offense. I mean, really. So these are the two big things defensively. I think USC has to be really ready to be challenged. And also Cal. Cal scores points. I mean, Cal can move the football. Don't overlook Cal for UCLA. We shouldn't be talking about UCLA. Talking about Cal. Cal blew out Oregon State the other night. Cal scores points. So uh, 
you know, it's it's going to be a battle on a Thursday night in the Coliseum because everybody battles in the Pac-12. Everybody battles. I don't know how many people saw or stayed up for the Utah-Arizona State game. What a great game. And then this Phillips, this Mr. Automatic, the field goal kicker, in overtime, the ISIM, his own coach iced him, thank goodness, called a timeout, and he missed it. Then he came back when he had another check. He's Mr. Automatic. He missed the second one. So then Arizona State went down, kicked the field goal, and beat him 19-16. So, wow, I'll tell you, this conference is special. And uh, really, every week you, you look at it and you say, my goodness, what's going to happen this weekend? We will see. It's going to be interesting stuff, especially in the Pac-12 South. But, Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. Always fun to chat with you. And uh, a little more upbeat this week, which was nice. We talk about USC win as opposed to another last loss. So good stuff there. So thanks again. Thank you, guys. And for everybody out there, thank you for listening. And uh, have a great week. Enjoy the week because uh, next Thursday, not this Thursday, the following Thursday, it's tee it up again. Put it on a tee and kick off for another exciting football game. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach. And everyone else, we're going to be back in a minute talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, fresh off his uh, return from the Palouse, where we were both up there. Uh, a little cold. I heard, Dan, you had to do a little ice scraping on the, the rental car Sunday morning coming back. It was chilly up there, man. Yeah, it uh, it's just too early for it to be that cool. Uh, and, I mean, it was a bad day, bad weekend for those folks who are used to it. So, uh, you know, for us it was uh, – which I guess makes the point. That, that team, young as they are, handled it again. They handle weather. They, they just – they really do some – you know, mature things in terms of, you know, how they go about things. Uh, you watch a kid like G.G. Smith and, uh, you know, just adapt to it, you know, have fun with it, get it done, you know. And I give them all the credit in the world. These, these kids uh, uh, just go out and, uh, you know, for for a team with as many freshmen who have to contribute as much as this team does, which I don't know if there's ever been a USC team, uh, you know, comparable, and I don't know if there's ever been a, team at this level, you know, with, with requiring comparable, you know, contributions from true freshmen. But, 
they just go out and get it done. Uh, the more you think about the way they get it done, the more it makes it how difficult it is to accept those two last second losses, which, uh, you know, this is a team that ought to be pretty much the toast of college football, you know, at eight and one. And, you know, totally in control of the Pac-12 with the best record in the Pac-12. And uh, it's a a tough deal when you think of, you know, what might have been and, uh, you know, almost was. Well, I want to talk about the Washington State game, 44-17 win up there. Uh, Look, you know, some struggles at times, but wanted to get to some questions on that. And uh, the big, big news was about Sua Cravens. And so here's our first voicemail question, Dan, talking about that. Hey, Coach and Ryan, this is Tarek here in Salt Lake City. I was just, um, you know, as everyone was, I was very scared when I saw Sua Cravens go down that way. But I was very impressed with the play of Quentin Powell. Uh, He looked like he was basically in on every play around, uh, you know, and on the tackles and doing pretty well in coverage, too, in the flats. Do you think with Sua down, he should be the next guy up? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Thank you, as always, and fight on. Well, I think the the point is they're going to play a Cal team coming up that's uh, very similar to Washington State. But then they're going to play uh, UCLA and Notre Dame teams that are are not uh, exactly similar, uh, you know, to uh, the Cal Washington State. So I think the thing about Sua that was so impressive and so valuable is they could use him anywhere, everywhere. You know, true safety, uh, uh, you know, nickel, you know, nickel guy uh, coming in off the edge, playing the run, uh, you know, pretty much at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so uh, they really don't have anybody. And I know Sark has talked. Yes, uh, last night was talking about. You know, we got to recruit guys like that. Yeah, I mean, well, how many are there in college football like that? You know, Sua and uh, Shaq Thompson, we know about. Uh, I don't know that that list is a whole long, you know, really a long one. So, uh, but you were correct about Quentin Powell. He was active. He runs to the ball. He, uh, he, he's around the play. He, uh, you know, he, he does a lot of good things and he will tackle you in space. Uh, so, uh, uh, you gotta think, I mean, it, it took him a while. I don't know what, what they were thinking, where he got lost on their, you know, depth chart how they couldn't figure out how to get a guy that could do what he could do into the game uh, just because uh, they didn't like the numbers on the, on the scale. But uh, uh, so without a doubt, Quentin, I think Charles Bart, you know, Charles Burks, uh, you saw, you know, he's active and he's an edge rusher that uh, is pretty relentless, a tough kid and loves uh, rushing the quarterback. And, and so they go from the number one passer in the country in, uh, in uh, Connor holiday to the number two passer in the country, Jared Goff. So probably a good thing those games come back to back. But uh, uh, I think Quentin Powell is one of the answers. Whether you know anybody has has uh, you know all of the answers uh, to replace Sue, uh, you know Cravens, probably not. But uh, Quentin certainly will be uh, you know at the head of the head of the line uh, to do that. It'll be interesting, Dan. For me, it's like last you know against Utah when Chad Wheeler goes down. Andre Walker comes into the game, but he's not really used. Uh, after that, during the week, they kind of mixed up the lineup and moved Toa Lobendon to left tackle. This time, Sua Cravens goes down. They bring in walk-on Matt Lopes, so I thought they did a pretty good job in there. It was very active as well. But 
my guess is they're going to move some things around and maybe you do see a Quentin Powell, but just to kind of fill in the role that Cravens was playing, which wasn't really up near the line of scrimmage as much. He was more kind of dropping back in coverage more than he has been the last few weeks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do if they shake things up. It's a, even though Matt Lopes came in during the game, Sark even showed just the previous week they have a tendency to kind of mix up the lineup and, and change things up during that week. And now they actually have you know a whole week off to kind of figure out what they want to do. Yeah, I think uh, you know Matt Lopes kind of gives you that uh, that slot cover guy, uh, you know, or the nickel guy uh, to some extent. And so uh, uh, we'll see. I, I think. Uh, they move around. I, I, one of the good things I do think that uh, for that secondary, uh, a lot of it is uh, how did you how did you practice? Uh, and that's a really good thing. I think uh, you know Coach Edward has done a, a really nice job with uh, you know if you uh, if you practice well if you're you know ready to go you're going to get a shot. And uh, and I know we call you know Matt Lopes a walk on, but but he's probably you know that, that you know USC's had a few guys in recent years that. Walk on is probably not the exact number for for the you know the talent that they bring you know to the game, and I think and Matt Lopes is is one of those kids that tough and and uh, and decently quick and uh, smart and uh, can play the ball. I thought they you know, they played as a group. They played the ball really well, and uh, that's the benefit I think of playing a team that throws it 66 times. And uh, you know Connor Halliday. Uh, you know, only got to throw at nine of those times before, you know, broke his leg there. But uh, uh, the Luke Falk kid, again, another former walk-on, I thought threw the ball well, played with a lot of poise, uh, you know, a better quarterback than you'll see at, uh, you know, a lot of programs, uh, uh, you know, the, the, in the Power Five conferences. I mean, they, they do attract those kids that, you know, can make plays and, you know, put the ball out there and uh, USC – did a decent job. They were helped a little bit by some drops, and in that weather, you could understand it. Although USC didn't really drop many, but uh, uh, I think uh, a combination of Quentin Powell, Matt Lopes, and we'll see, you know, where it goes, you know, from there. But uh, but I thought they did, and uh, Sark pointed that out, and I agree that, that he thought the coaches did a really good job in uh, working the rotations and getting guys in and, and having them ready to play. And I think they definitely did. Uh, I want to talk about the secondary a little bit. Got a question from Twitter, USC uh, 805 fan. And he wants to, he has a question for you, Dan. He said, uh, hasn't it been enough time for Josh Shaw to come back after lying to U- to USC? Seems excessive for nine games. So maybe talk about the secondary and what do you think about Josh Shaw? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I'll, I'll give the same answer Sark gave uh, Sunday night. It's, yeah, it's taken way longer than it should have. Uh you know, are they overly uh, cautious because you can't prove a negative? And what if so we find, you know, we keep hearing that uh, there is no other there there, that it was, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a disturbing uh, the peace kind of, you know, argument situation that uh, somebody called the police and ended up jumping off a balcony stupidly and somehow doesn't understand how and this is going to look if it gets put out by USC. Obviously, USC put it out, uh, which, again, shows as, lack of, uh, as much lack of understanding about the situation because it was obvious uh, if you understand everything they said they did in trying to vet the story, they didn't believe the story. Uh, why they put it out, uh, and that's 
the problem on this issue is I think USC has uh, some culpability in uh, the situation Josh finds himself in at this point. Obviously, he does as well. Uh, nine games long enough? Darn right. I mean, I think if what we know, we think we know, we've heard from lots of different people involved and angles of this uh, from from different you know story you know different places in this story. Uh, it starts that last night. The process has taken way longer. Hasn't gotten back to him to make the call, which it sounds like, you know, if uh, he gets the okay, it's up to Sark to decide. Uh, and uh, how how it's not come back to Sark, he says he doesn't really understand how it's taken this long. But uh, yes, it, it, it seems like way too long, way too unfair, based on what we think we know about where the story is. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, as far as the uh, overall secondary, uh, you know, who knew that Adoree Jackson would be able to possibly be challenging, you know, as one of the very, very best cornerbacks in the Pac-12. And they've done a nice job, I think, in setting up their defense. I know people ask the question, well, are they picking on him? Why is he getting singled out? And what what's happening is USC setting up their defense, so he is – the primary guy, and he does get a chance to play people one-on-one. And I, I was surprised a little bit that they were very pleased that they tackled well in open space and they put, you know, corners in places where they had to do that, and you just think, wait a minute, this is USC. USC's corners ought to be able to tackle in space. You know, I mean, you recruited some of the better kids in the country. Don't be surprised nine games into the season when they come up and make plays. Uh that 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 almost indicates a little bit of a are you coaching out of fear that they won't make the play? Are you gonna you know coach them more like Saturday where you just say we're expecting you to make that play, make it, and they they mostly did, and and that's a good thing. Uh, and again, it's a tribute to a lot of these young guys. Uh, let's go to Jesse Rodriguez, uh, U.S. Army retired. He said, I was surprised that we couldn't get any push on Wazoo's defensive line in the first half. I feel that we are bigger and stronger up front than anything Wazoo can put out there on the offensive-defensive lines. Thanks for your unbiased opinion and fight on from Jesse Rodriguez. Hey, Jesse, thanks for your service. Uh, Great to hear from you. Uh, Two things. Uh, The the strength of of Washington State is their three defensive linemen. they're tough physical guys, but you're right. USC still has an edge uh, physically. I think what you see is the thing that, that makes you wonder about the USC running game is they seem to be able to run some things really nicely. And other things, they just get jammed up when it looks like there's six defenders in the hole or where it looks like uh, the one guy you needed to block at the point of attack, nobody even touched. Uh, what that tells me at times is the complexity that they ended up with uh, screwing them up so much during the lane era is still there. You know, that, that it's not as basic and not as simple and straightforward as it maybe needs to be for this kind of a young offensive line. And yet you still see uh, they can set things up and then they can get buck off tackle, for example, and they can pull and they can get out there quickly. And you think, wow, you know, all you got to do is create a seam for buck. Uh, the, the disappointing thing for me in the, in the run game, especially for a team that says we're a run first team, 
is the inability to create seams for Buck uh, much of the time. I mean, Buck is the kind of guy, you give him a seam at the line of scrimmage, point of attack, and the defense has got real problems. And uh, it looks like they're kind of guessing as to how do we do that. And uh, uh, it, it just seems like why do they have so many kind of busted plays with, uh, as you say, uh, uh, a big athletic, although young, offensive line, and Buck Allen, the best running back in the Pac-12. Why, why, do they, why does Buck, for example, I don't know what he ran, at th- uh, 34 yards in the first half on 11 carries or whatever? That just, that's probably not acceptable. And so they kept him in and uh, kept after him, and uh, you know he lost the one on a on a on a penalty, the 149 yarder. But he stayed in there and got his six, you know, 100 yard plus game, and uh, and good, you know, good for Buck and all of that. I know people say, oh, they left him in too long or left him left him in too long. I don't know. I don't have a, a real strong opinion about that. You uh, know, I have a lot of guys to put in. But um, uh, but yeah, I think that's a that's a point of, of you know question as to what's going on with the uh, the lack of push and the busted plays, especially in the first half. Uh, let's see. I want to go to uh, Patrick in Chicago. Uh, this season has been an emotional roller coaster. Is USC vastly quote underachieving, or are we just quote overrated? Love the podcast and thanks for your hard work. Patrick in Chicago. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, overrated. They're not in the top 25 right now. And, uh, you know, two teams that they absolutely beat in every way you can beat except on the scoreboard at the end of the game are, you know, 10 places ahead of them. So are they overrated? I don't know. I think if, if they played Arizona State again, who wins? If they play Arizona again, who wins? Uh, you know, so uh, were they overrated when they were ranked ninth? I don't know. If they win those two games, if if both of those games are 15 seconds shorter, USC's eight and one, uh, and probably ranked what fifth, fourth? I don't know. Uh, right behind Oregon? Yeah. Uh, so, are they overrated? Uh, not now. Uh, I mean, I think they're are they the best three loss team in the country? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, you know, what, what good is that? You know, I don't have much good that does. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, people can say, oh, they could have lost the Arizona game. Well, the way it turned out, you know, that they make the field goal, yeah. But should Arizona have even been in that game? No, of course not. Uh, and obviously the Arizona State game, no way you can lose that. As Ryan pointed out last week, and, uh, you know, they have one out of 166 chances of losing those two games the way they had the ball. Uh, you know, in, in the opponent's territory uh, with the opponent with none or one timeout left and all. I mean, there's just, you know, there's just no way you could have lost Arizona State and Utah the way you did. Uh, and so, you know, emotional roller coaster, I'll go with you. Overrated, maybe not. Uh, could have had, you know, one of those storybook years. And uh, they could have played, you know, to the finish. Uh, and gotten a little help probably from the sidelines, uh, a little better calls, uh, both offense and defense, uh, we'd be, you know, talking about uh, can they get in the playoffs. And uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of where I am on, on this one. I think they're pretty talented uh, with all the limits that, you know, they've got on them in terms of numbers and, and uh, youth. 
uh, there's a lot of talent. I mean, you you got the sense, for example, the Spokane media uh, thought it looked like uh, NFL guys uh, going against high school kids uh, in terms of the matchups uh, with the wide receivers against their uh, or the uh, or punt returners against their punt return coverage team. Uh, and that we haven't seen enough. I mean, there are a lot of games where Juju just disappeared or or Nelson, or, you know, you just didn't see them get to use the kind of athleticism and speed that we thought they had. And then all of a sudden there are games where they're just not involved. And uh, I don't think that was Juju's fault or, or Nelson's fault. Uh, but, uh, but, but Washington State has seen a lot of good teams. They've seen a lot of teams try to, you know, uh, do things against them athletically, and they were really impressed with just the fact USC's ability to create separation uh, with their, you know, receivers was, uh, I think, kind of eye-opening, uh, uh, you know, to those folks. And, and it's what we thought we were going to see much of the year and, and didn't see, for example, at Boston College until it was too late. Uh, didn't see it, you know, toward the end of games uh, if they were leading and uh, probably uh, needed to see more of. Uh, all right, let's see. ALW wants to know, what do you think of Buck Allen's NFL future, and who does he remind you of from the past? Hmm. I, I, think, I think one of the reasons he's got a great NFL future, I mean, he's such a t- tough kid, smart kid, practices so hard. He wants to be so good, and he's been gifted with just, terrific hands and a sense of where he is, you know, on the football field and, uh, you know, in the right system in the NFL, uh, he's, uh, he could be awfully, awfully, uh, you know, uh, tough because uh, I don't know that there's an NFL running back who catches the ball any better than Buck does. So, uh, you know, with what they're able to do with, with their quarterbacks and their, and tailor their systems and, and, and that, uh, you know, and, and Buck is just bigger, stronger, and quicker than uh, a lot of the you know defensive backs or whoever they're going to try to cover him with. So, uh, so I think he's got that going for him. Uh, and I do think uh, when all you got to do is create a seam, uh, I think you know NFL offenses will be able to figure out exactly how to do that with Buck. In terms of who he reminds you of, he's an interesting. You know, he's not as tall as say a, a Marcus Allen, or maybe not as is kind of limber and loosey goosey and all that. I mean, Marcus was just such a special player, but he's more, you know, he, the way running backs are now. Once you get past the six foot mark, you're kind of a tall running back. So you, you put him in the category, even though you know you're not as tall as as a lot of the guys that you, you know we used to see. Uh, the, the you know the super great you know old time guys like uh, you know. Uh, uh, so say Eric Dickerson, for example, or you know guys, that, you know big tall guys, but he's more more along that line, more of a glider uh, than a pounder. Not you know not the you know real compact sort of a guy that the NFL's kind of gone to. Uh, I don't, I I don't really you know think I, I that I could pick somebody out and say he just that's kind of who who he is. It, it, it like 215 pounds. He's kind of Mid size, I guess, uh, uh, at a, you know, just a little over six feet, uh, you know, kind of mid size there, towards the tall end of the spectrum, I guess now. But uh, I think Buck's kind of his own guy, uh, and 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 uniquely 
gifted, and uh, I'm looking for him to to have a you know really nice NFL career. All right, uh, let's see. Jeff K. in Altadena, do you feel his team is getting better from week to week? We all know Sark can recruit, but what has he done thus far to make you believe he can take good talent, enhance it, and turn it into good uh, and turn that good talent into great talent? Carroll was masterful at it. Kiffin was horrible at it, and the proof is in the NFL. Can Carroll NFLers have far outperformed Kiffin NFLers? Uh, where do you think Sark stands? Great work, fellas. Fight on. Uh, Jeff K. Jeff, I, I, and I think we all have assumptions, and one of them I think just throughout it that, that we all know Sark can recruit. I think that's to be determined. Uh, I think recruiting at USC on a national stage uh, and really having your you know your finger on the pulse in Florida, for example, uh, or knowing uh, what Southern you know or California kids, the Southern California kids really. Uh, make the difference or difference makers and, and how you go about that and how you coordinate it all and all of that. I think that this is a learning experience. So I think we're learning uh, how this is going to go. Uh, it was more of a, you know, uh, uh, a regional kind of and pick a kid here or pick a kid there when you're at Washington. So this is a big, a big change for, you know, I think Sark uh, uh, in terms of recruiting. Okay. So we'll take that point. Uh in terms of developing players, I think that <clears throat> that really has to be. Uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, are they are they more developed and better off than than say last year? I, I will say this. I think you know the ability to uh, incorporate the freshmen uh, has has been really good, uh, and it's been you know different place, different ways in different places uh, in terms of the teaching and different you know uh, positions. Uh, you know. There's a lot of talent with this freshman group. Uh, I, I've already said it you know, on this uh, you know, podcast that maybe a little more basic in the offensive line uh, would have been the way you'd like to go. I think uh, a lot of the, uh, the real up-tempo stuff in the spring and the summer has kind of gone by the wayside uh, in the fall. I think there were some really good things. I think it helped the defense a lot to see a lot of that up-tempo. I think it helped the conditioning a good bit. Uh, in terms of the sheer execution, play after play after play, I don't think it's helped them uh, in the penalties. And, the, uh, and I do wonder if uh, you, know, you really have a, a, an extensive and fairly complex playbook uh, does that help you develop, uh, uh, you know, especially offensive line, for example? I thought that was one of the real negatives of, uh, of the offensive line development in the last few years was uh, an overly complex uh, 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 playbook that uh, where it had guys thinking more than playing. And that's what you don't want to have happen here is have guys thinking more than playing. Uh, one would like to see the ability to just go out and play and not have to spend, you know, a great deal of time wondering if you're going to get in, you know, get the ball. I mean, I think there's a somewhat of a, because of the way it started out this year where, you know, uh, guys would disappear for games and things like that. Uh, you do wonder how that uh, carries through in practice where you, you'd like to have a sense more of, this is how we do it. This is who we are. This is, you know, we're going to do it really well, and it's going to be really difficult for you to stop what we do uh, to develop a personality that 
says, this is what USC football is, you know, under Sark, and this is how it's going to play. Uh, I think under Lane, for example, one of the things is USC football, again, had a kind of odd personality. I mean, it was like, well, which team's going to show up? Which game plan's going to, you know, matter? There's still a little bit of that. And, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's an issue. Uh, and I think you help develop kids better when the team has a personality. Uh, you know, obviously Pete's teams did. And that really, I think, uh, when kids know who they are and how they're supposed to play, uh, it helps them just get better it get better at that. If they're not sure, uh, I think the development uh, doesn't, doesn't go as well. Uh, obviously, this team is way ahead in terms of uh, no USC team. I, I don't think you could come, come up with a USC team that's had this many freshmen that not only contributed but absolutely had to contribute. And uh, it's pretty amazing. And I know, you know, Sark, and this is what you would do, is now talking more about the future after, you know, the two losses this year that, you know, were so difficult to take. You start talking about uh, freshmen and coming back and what this future means and all of that. But, uh, but I think, uh, uh, you know, I think they've got a real chance with the kind of freshman talent that they've got to uh, – and the maturity. I mean, uh, to have uh, uh, Juju Smith and Adoree Jackson and Toa Lobodon are, are really leaders. I mean, they just uh, they don't act like, uh, think like freshmen. They don't practice like freshmen. And uh, and that's a that's a big part of the battle, I think. Uh, but again, kids like that, you recruit and they come in there. You know, they come in with those attitudes. Then your job is just to get out of the way and let them. Uh, become as good as they can be and just don't do anything to, you know, stunt that. Uh, we had a question from Larry, Dan, and I tweeted, um, I think he's referring to a tweet I made uh, watching the Florida State uh, Notre Dame game when we were in the press box kind of watching that. And uh, Florida State, I think, I, I believe this was the right thing, but I think Florida State was like third and six late in the game and they had like a little dump off to the running back that, that went for a big play. And I tweeted that, that that's what, Basically, that's what USC wanted to try to do on that third and two against uh, Utah. And uh, so he says, I saw your tweet during that Florida State third and six play. Don't you find it a little ironic that one coach is a genius and another a fool for calling nearly identical plays in very similar situations? I guess for those that second guess play calling based only on results, it makes perfect sense. Hope you and Dan have simmered down some. Uh, a bit, simmer down a bit since the Utah game because I really enjoy the information you provide on USC football. Looking forward to a more upbeat podcast after WSU. Thanks, Larry. And uh, I'm, I'm still getting kind of questions about this, Dan. And my take was always that Pinner had one catch the entire year. This I, I I don't I didn't do the research on the Florida State play if that's a play they ran more, but it's not a play we saw a lot in practice. We've never seen it in a game. That was my concern with the play, but maybe kind of get your thoughts on it. Well, what was really stupid about the play call, and it was a stupid play call for those who think it was a good play call, <laughs> uh, it was the second hurry up, run to the line of scrimmage, get Kessler under center, snap the ball right away, and fool him. Play call. They did it once before in the Utah game. How'd that turn out? Fourth and one at the 27. Oh, yeah. Fumble. Second time they call it, they basically say, this is what bothers you about the, the thinking of the two-play calls. 
when USC got to the Utah 27 there, all they needed is a first down, game's over. USC had two plays to go two yards and decided they had to fool them on both plays. And they run a play, <clears throat> the first play, that stops the clock if it's not completed. Then they run to the line of scrimmage. No time for the quarterback to see what's going on. He's going to throw the ball, but he doesn't know how they're going to defend it. He gets up there, but before he gets his hands under center, Utah, as they're wont to do, calls out a signal. Utah's famous for this, calling out signals that sound like the snap count. Is that illegal? Yeah. Do they get called for it? Almost never. Did they do it? Yeah. Did Max Turk snap the ball before Cody got under the center? Yeah. Did the ball get loose? Yeah. Did Cody make a great play to keep it from being a fumble? Yeah. What was he able to do? All he could do was try to push the ball forward so it was an incomplete pass rather than a fumble. Had he even gotten his hands on it, could he have completed it to Pinner? Maybe. Would Pinner have gotten the first down? Probably not. Was it a good call? No. It was a <laughs> dumb call. A really dumb call. It was a call that says to your team, we, we're third and two in their territory. All we need is a first down, and we can only do that by tricking them because we're not good enough. That's what's bad about that play call. I didn't bring up the Utah game. You did. <laughs> it was a dumb, dumb, dumb play call. Got it? For all kinds of reasons. You didn't put the ball in your best player's hands. You didn't put the ball in your team's hands. You pretty much took it out of their hands. Uh, you know, we know, for example, Max is not ideal with, with his he's 6'6 and really long arms. It's always been a struggle for him to snap the ball to Cody under center. I mean, they're, they're roommates and they're best friends. It just is adding a layer of difficulty to that play. Then you go hurry up. That adds a layer of difficulty. Then you're throwing the ball, which will stop the clock. That adds a layer of complexity that never should have been there. And then you're throwing it to Julio Pinner, who's been targeted exactly one time this year. Hello? That, I mean, uh, don't get me started. Sorry, I know. Well, and, 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 I'm, I'm just kidding. But no, it was a bad, it wasn't the same call that Florida State made. Florida State threw it to a running back who had caught the ball and turned it upfield, knew how to do it. They didn't do it in a way that made it much more difficult for Jameis Winston to, to do it. They did it the way they normally do it. Okay, is that as, you know, do you have to be a smart guy, to, you know, a genius? No, you don't necessarily have to be. You just go to, you know, what we do well. Uh, you don't go to the, you know, as Lane famously once said, the third column on the play sheet. Those are the ones he said, they don't work so well often. Uh, you don't usually call them. Don't ever call them, okay? Never. If they're in the third column, don't call them. <laughs> It could make us T-shirt about that. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, hopefully, Larry, you felt that the podcast was a little more upbeat today. But 
I'm still getting emails about that, and I, I think it's been a point of contention where people think I I agree with Dan 100%, and he even gives more reasons than I do um, of why it wasn't a good play call. But yeah, that's uh, it wasn't just the fact, after the fact it was a pass pattern eliminates it from being a good play yeah. call in a game where 20 seconds. Gee, what if they'd have had the 20 seconds on the other end of the clock? Would that have helped? Well, since they scored with what? Five seconds ago, whatever it was, or ran that play with eight seconds ago, five seconds ago, minus 20 seconds probably would have really helped. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Hope, I'm sorry we're ending on a note like that, uh, everyone. But uh, and, and, and we're not mad or anything. It's just it does get a little frustrating. You're down on the field and you go, what? The, uh, hello? What just happened? You know, you just – I mean – the ball got thrown kind of right at us. Exactly. You could see Cody was just fighting to keep it. I didn't know that they'd called out the signal. Obviously I'm probably as much into the game as the Pac-12 officials who allowed Utah to call out a, you know, a, a signal that, that threw USC off. But, um, uh, uh, it was hard to believe your eyes. I mean, Utah had it covered perfectly. Uh, and, and you, you, you took away the chance to read the play. I mean, it just, Try to trick them. I mean, I okay. The thought was okay. Every time USC runs up and does that hurry up, they run the ball. This time they were going to hurry up and throw it, and that would really fool Utah. Which of course it didn't fool them at all. And I know there were people who say, "Well, why didn't Cody just throw the ball to the tight end who was wide open?" Cody, you know, had no chance to do any of that because of the play call. That was the problem. All right. Well, thanks again. <laughs> And I'm sorry, like I said, sorry we we had to end on that, but we've been getting a lot of questions about it on Twitter, uh, emails, and people sending, you know, talking to the show. So I wanted to address that one last time and uh, at least get – that's what our thoughts are. You can agree or disagree, uh, whatever you want to do on that one. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show. And uh, got a week off here heading into the bye week against uh, uh, Cal. Yeah, it's basketball. Basketball week. Uh, this is how it used to be in Kentucky where you uh, – if you were covering Kentucky – you get so far into football season and people would start saying, when does basketball season start? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it starts this week, uh, you know, for USC. And uh, we'll be able to do some, uh, do some basketball this week, and that'll, that'll work out well. And, you know, they still got, they got the three games, and this should certainly end on a high note. And uh, you'll, you'll just see it. I guess we should throw the scenario out that if it's a three – Way tie at seven and two in the South with USC, uh, Arizona, and Arizona State, uh, and uh, UCLA ends up as uh, the number four team in the Pac-12, and USC would have been the only team of the three tied to beat the number four team in the uh, in the Pac-12 South with the better record with the best record. Uh, USC somehow miraculously would move on. Uh, so obviously, what has to happen is uh, uh, UCLA can't lose so many that they don't. They end up lower than fourth, and Arizona has to beat Arizona State, and uh, and USC has to win out. Yeah. So, is there a chance mathematically? Yeah. And in that early year, a couple of those things did happen. You know, that that first year that Pete turned around when they ended up, you know, fourth in the nation and. Didn't win the Pac-12 and ended up in the uh, Orange Bowl anyway. A lot of things had to happen and go right, and they did. So I guess you could say uh, historically uh, you're hoping that 
maybe uh, maybe that happens. We will see. Uh, but be a lot of interesting people watching TVs over the next few weeks, USC football fans included. Thanks very much, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We're back in the studio this week, not on the road anymore. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 